Section twenty two of Cleek of Scotland Yard by Thomas W. Hanshu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter nineteen. It had gone two o'clock. The morning's work was done, a hasty luncheon disposed of, and the investigators were back in the dockmaster's house discussing the curious features of the case again. And now, gentlemen, said Cleek, to the unsolved part of the riddle, the mysterious manner in which the messages were sent from this house, for sent from here they undoubtedly were, and by Sophie Borovonsky, but the question of how still remains to be discovered. I make it that it's the devil's own work, Mr. Cleek, said McKinnery and that there must have been some accident connected with it, the same as with the taking off of the wire-tapping chap. Hardly that, I'm afraid, replied Cleek. I think it was accident which put a stop to the proceedings here, not one which created them. We now know perfectly well that the woman was in this house, undiscovered and unsuspected for days, and you may safely lay your life that she wasn't idle, wasn't stopping here for nothing. The pile of papers burnt shows very clearly that considerable intelligence had been forwarded to her brother, so it is safe to infer that she was wiring it to him constantly. But how was it possible for her to obtain that information? queried Sir Charles. I again declare to you most solemnly, Mr. Cleek, that no one entered or left the room, that no word was spoken that could be said to have any bearing upon secret matters, so nothing could possibly be overheard. And how could the woman read documents which were never out of our sight for a minute? Granted that she had some means of wiring intelligence to her brother, indeed we now know that to have been the case— how under god's heaven did she obtain that intelligence well that's a facer certainly sir charles but with such a past mistress of ingenuity as she well you never know sure she couldn't possibly have managed to get into the room and hide herself somewhere you think i am positive she couldn't the thing isn't possible there's no place where she could have hidden. Come in and see. He unlocked the door, and, followed by the rest, led the way into the room where the inquiry into the dockmaster's affairs had been held. A glance about it was sufficient to corroborate Sir Charles's statement. On one side stood a large, fireproof safe, closely locked. On the other were two windows, iron grilled and with inside shutters of steel. At one end was a large flat-topped table at which Sir Charles and McKinnery had conducted their investigation of the books, etc., and at the other a smaller writing-table upon which stood a typewriter set on a sound deadening square of felt, and over which hung a white-disked electric bulb. There were five chairs, and not another mortal thing. No cupboard, no wardrobe, no chest— nothing under heaven in which a creature any bigger than a cat could have hidden you see said sir charles with a wave of the hand she couldn't have hidden in here 
neither could she have hidden outside and overheard for nothing was said that could have been of any use to her quite confident of that oh i can answer for that mr cleek put in young grimsdick we were so careful upon that point that sir charles never dictated even the smallest thing that he wanted recorded merely passed over the papers and said copy that where i have marked it and to save my table from being overcrowded i scratched down the marked paragraphs in shorthand and prepared to transcribe them on the typewriter later why sir look here the diabolical part of the mystery is that those two fragments of sentences flashed out at the telegraph office at the time of that frightful peal of thunder and at that very instant i was in the act of transcribing them on the typewriter hello hello rapped out cleek twitching round sharply sure of that are you absolutely sure beyond all question mr cleek sir charles will tell you that the thunderclap was so violent and so sudden that both he and mr mckinnery fairly jumped as for me i was so startled that i struck a wrong letter by mistake and had to rub out a word and type it over again come and see the paper is still on my table and i can show you the erasure and the alteration now nobody could have seen that paper at that particular time not a solitary word had been spoken with regard to it and it wasn't more than half a minute before that sir charles himself had taken it out of the safe look sir here's the paper and here's the place where i erased the word see cleek walked over to the typewriter and looked at the paper saw the erasure lifted it looked at other typed sheets lying under it and then knotted up his brows hmm he said reflectively and looked farther you've got a devilish hard touch for a man who does this sort of thing constantly and ought therefore to be an adept in the art of typewriting evenly and there are other errors and erasures look here my friend i don't believe you're used to this machine no sir i'm not i'm not accustomed to a shift key my own machine hasn't one your own by gad what are you using this machine for then if you've got one of your own and why didn't you bring your own when you came here on important business like this i did but as we found this one already here i started in on it and when i found it difficult to work i went out to get my own which i'd left in the outer room just as i'd taken it from the carrier who brought it over but the careless beggar must have handled it as if it were a trunk for the spring was broken the carriage wouldn't work and two of the tight bars were snapped off by jupiter cleek's voice struck in so suddenly and with such vehemence that it was almost a bark like that of a startled terrier and mr narkom knowing the signs fairly jumped at him you've found out something i know he cried what is it old chap eh let me alone let me alone flung back cleek irritably i want the dock master i want him at once where is the man oh there you are mr beachman speak up quickly was that hillman woman ever allowed to enter this room did she ever make use of this typewriter at any time yes sir often he replied she was one of the best and most careful typists i ever saw 
used to attend to all my correspondence for me, and— Good God, man, what are you doing? Don't you know that that thing is government property? For Cleek, not waiting for him to finish what he was saying, had suddenly laid hands on the machine, found it screwed fast to the table, and catching up the nearest chair was now smashing and banging away at it with all his force. "'Government destruction, you mean?' he gave back sharply. "'Didn't I tell you she was the very demon of ingenuity, stupid? Didn't I say—' "'Victory! Now then, look here, all of you. Here's a pretty little contrivance, if you like.' He had battered the typewriter from its fastenings and sent it crashing to the floor a wreck not ten seconds before. Now his hand, which immediately thereafter had been moving rapidly over the surface of the sound-deadening square of felt beneath, whisked that too from the table, and let them all see the discovery he had made. Protruding from the surface of that table, and set at regular intervals, there were forty-two needle-points of steel, one for each key of the typewriter, which a moment before had pierced the felt surface just sufficient to meet the bottom of the key above it, and to be driven downward when that key was depressed. Spectacular as ever in these times, he faced about and gave his hand an outward fling. "'Gentlemen, the answer to the riddle,' he said. "'You have been supplying her with the needed information yourselves.' A ducat to a doorknob, every time a letter was struck on this machine, its exact duplicate was recorded somewhere else. Get a saw, Mr. Beachman, and let us see to what these steel points lead. They led to a most ingenious contrivance, as it turned out. A highly sensitive spiral spring attached to an arm of thin, tough steel beneath the surface of the table communicated with a rigid wire running down the wall behind one of that table's back legs, and passing thence through a small gimlet hole in the floor, descended and disappeared. Following that wire's course, they too descended, until, in the fullness of time, the end was reached in a far corner of the cellar underneath the building. There, behind an upturned empty cask, they came upon yet another wire which wound upward, and was found afterward to travel out and up beside the leader, until it joined the private wire of the dockyard just outside the dormer window of what had once been Miss Greta Hillman's bedroom. And to these wires, the one descending and the other ascending from behind that empty cask in the cellar, there was a singular contrivance attached. To one, a plain, everyday instrument for dispatching telegrams by the Morse system. To the other, a curious little keyboard which was an exact counterpart of the keyboard to the typewriter upstairs. And besides this, there lay some remnants of food from the store cupboard of the house, and a sheaf of paper leaves covered with typewritten characters. "'Gentlemen, the absolute end of the riddle at last,' said Cleek, as he took up one of those leaves. "'Look at them. Government secrets, every one. 
and I, like an ass, forgot to remember that Niccolo Ferron was one of the cleverest mechanicians and one of the craftiest wire-workers that the underworld boasts. Look, Sir Charles, look, Mr. Narkom, every touch of a letter on the keyboard of the typewriter upstairs registered its exact duplicate on this infernal contrivance down here, and fast as it was recorded, that vixen wired it on to Boris Borovonsky. Can't you understand now why she left her post and flew to him? The shock which killed him and travelled with lessened force down the wire to the telegraph operator was felt here, and the instrument she used was in all probability disabled. She knew then, of course, that something had happened to her brother, and in a panic flew to find out what. But even the shrewdest slip up sometimes and overlook things. Her foolish slip lay in this, that she forgot to take with her these original drafts of the intelligence she had wired to the dead man. "'Ah, weel,' said Mr. Alexander McKinnery, who, like a true Scotsman, never liked to be found at the small end of the horn upon any occasion. "'After all, tis no more than I expected. "'I said it was accident that was at the bottom of it, "'an accident it's turned out to be.' "'No doubt,' agreed Cleek with one of his peculiar smiles. "'But personally I always like to think that there's a power above, "'and when men and nations have played the game squarely,' "'Shan't we be going upstairs, Sir Charles? "'Mr. Narkom and I have a long ride back to town, "'and the afternoon is on the decline.' "'It was still farther on that road, however, "'before he was able to actually tear himself away "'from the dockyard and be off home, "'for there were those little legal necessities "'which are the penalty of dealing with government affairs "'to be attended to.' There was the boring business of meeting high officials and listening to compliments and congratulations, and he was really glad when the limousine, answering to orders, rolled up, the final goodbyes were said, and he and Mr. Narkom swung off townward together. But despite the fact that he had just carried to a successful conclusion a case which would go far to enhance his reputation and to hasten the day for which he had so long and so earnestly worked, Cleek was singularly uncommunicative, markedly abstracted, as they rode back through the streets of Portsmouth Town on their way to the high road and had the superintendent been more observant and less wrapped up in the glory that was to be theirs as the result of the day's adventure, he might have discovered that, while his ally seemed to be dozing stupidly when he was not leaning back in a corner and smoking, he was, all the time, keeping a close watch of the crowded streets through which they were speeding, as if looking for someone or something he expected to see nor did he relax this peculiar system of vigilance even after the town itself had dropped away into the far distance, and the car was scudding along over the broad stretches and the less frequented thoroughfares of the open country. "'I shall not go all the way back with you, if you don't mind, Mr. Narkom,' he said, breaking silence abruptly as they raced along. 
just set me down at the place where you picked me up this morning please and i will do the rest of the journey by train cinnamon why oh just a mere whim of mine that's all no don't press me for an explanation please where ignorance is bliss etc besides i'm a whimsical beggar at best you know and who bothers to inquire why a donkey prefers thistles to hay so just drop me down when we reach the outskirts of guildford if you'll be so kind mr narkom was discreet enough to drop the subject at that and to make no further allusion to the matter until they came in the fullness of time to the place in question here he called leonard to a halt and cleek alighted not furtively nor yet in haste and standing beside the car reached in and shook hands with him until you want me again he smiled in his easy off-hand way and if that turns out to be a long time off i shan't be sorry meanwhile if you wish to do me a favour look about for a limousine of another make and a quite different colour i've an odd idea that this one is fast coming to the end of its career of usefulness good-bye all right leonard let her go then the door of the car closed with a smack and he was off and away so openly and at such a leisurely pace that it was clear he had neither need nor desire to effect a getaway unobserved well i'll be dashed was mr narkom's unspoken comment upon the proceeding for under his hat he had come to the conclusion that cleek had in some way by some unconfessed means learned that valdemar or the apache had come back into the game and were again on his heels but had said nothing for fear of worrying him walking off as cool as you please and never the first attempt to come any of his old vanishing cracksman's dodges amazing beggar what's he up to now i wonder it is just possible that could he have followed he would have wondered still more for cleek was bearing straight down upon the populous portions of the town and about ten minutes after the two had parted struck into the high street walked along it for a short distance studying the signs over the various buildings until sighting one which announced that it was the guildford office of the royal british life assurance society he crossed the street and with great deliberation passed in under it and disappeared from sight it was one of the contradictory points of his singularly contradictory character that whereas he had chafed under the delay in getting away from the royal dockyard at portsea because he was eager to get back to his work in the little old walled garden and all his thoughts were with the flowers he was preparing for her in the end he did not see the place until after the moon was up and all hope of gardening for that day had to be abandoned entirely yet he came back to dollops whistling and as happy as a sandboy he was up with the first cock-crow next morning and dawn found him plying fork and rake and trowel among the flowers and positively bubbling over with enthusiasm 
for the budding roses were just beginning to show colour and to give promise of full bloom for the day of days and more than that he did not ask of heaven indeed it was written that he might not for the balance had again swung over the call of nature again sounded and the great mother taking him to her bosom had again merged the man in the idealist and cradled him into forgetfulness of all spells but hers so that all through the day he went in and out among his flowers whistling and singing and living in a sort of ecstasy that ran on like a dream without end on the morrow the little garden was all finished and ready and nothing now remained but to sit in idleness and wait End of section 22